All right, we are going to have our third session now in Cultivating Truth for Life, A Call to Holy Living, by looking at how we should be looking at our sin, having a correct attitude towards sin. And we're going we're gonna to go right into where we left off in our last session, 1 John 1, 7. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 2, 2. So if you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John 1. We'll begin with verse 8. Let's pray and we'll begin our time. Lord, we do bow before you this afternoon, this morning, uh, that you would uh, help us to correct our thinking regarding sin. Father, we know that if we're going to live a holy life, we have to hate sin. We know you hate it. We know that you're angry with the wicked every day. You don't look lightly upon our sin. Father, it was because of sin that you came into the world and died for that, and I pray that we would realize how heinous our sin is. May we have a correct attitude towards sin. May we not minimize it. May we not justify it. May we not blame the person sitting next to us for our sin, our husbands, our children. May we own up to it. May we hate it. May we love righteousness. Give grace for this session. Bless in our time. Use it for your purposes, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the true story is told about a preacher who was regularly speaking on the subject of sin, and he didn't mince any words about sin. He defined sin as an abominable thing that God hates. And one day, one of the members of his congregation came to him, and he said, you know, preacher, I wish you would quit using the word sin. That's an ugly word. Um, he said, you know, I don't think it's helping our young people in any way. Uh, you're just speaking too plain about it. And he said, I think you should word, you'd use words like this. How about in a, inhibition, error, mistake? Or how about even a twist in our nature? Why don't, why don't you use one of those words instead of sin? The pastor very wisely said, I, I understand what you mean. And he went to his desk in his office and he took out a bottle and he said, you see this bottle? He said, it contains strychnine. You see the red label here says poison. Would you suggest I change the label and paste one on it that says wintergreen? The more harmless the name, the more dangerous the dose will be. Sin. We don't like to talk about it, do we? Maybe some of you would like to relabel it as an error or a mistake, like that man in that pastor's church. But ladies, what, what should be our attitude towards sin as a child of God? Should we deny it, justify it, ignore it? Well, John gives us two attitudes towards sin in this text that we're going to study here in our third lesson. And may I say that you either have one or the other. You can't have both. You can't have both attitudes. You either have one or the other. One proves you're walking in the light and not in darkness, and the other proves you're walking in darkness and not in the light. Now, as I read the text, notice how many times John mentions the word sin. Anytime anything's repeated in Scripture, it's there for a purpose. So follow along with me, 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 2. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Did you notice how many times John mentioned sin? Depends on your translation. Some there's seven, some there's eight, so it depends on what translation you are reading out of. Ladies, we need to have a correct attitude towards sin, and we are going to see in this lesson that we should have one or the other. We have a wrong attitude mentioned in verses 8 and 10, and then the right attitude mentioned in verse 9 and 2, 1 and 2. Now, we just got finished going over 5 through 7, and John is really still reflecting on those who walk in the light versus those who are walking in darkness. Ladies, if you're walking in the light, you're going to have a right attitude towards sin. If you're walking in darkness this morning, you're going to have an improper attitude towards sin. So let's look, first of all, let's have the bad news first, okay? The wrong attitude towards sin. Look at verse 8. If we say we have not sinned or no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here again, we have the guys that are saying, they're saying all this. If we say this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In fact, the Greek is they're boasting about it. We have no sin. I don't sin. I have a friend I disciple in Tulsa. She's a golf professional and she teaches golf. And she said one of the pastors of the Word of Faith, Tulsa's really known as the heresy capital of the world. That's where the Word of Faith movement started. So anyway, she had one of the famous pastors in our town. He was she was teaching him golf. And she said, Susan, he actually told me he doesn't sin. And I was like, really? Did you tell him you'd like to talk to his wife and find out? I said, did he really tell you that? And she said, yeah, he did. She said he claimed he had no sin. I was like, wow, must be a great guy. That's what these people are saying. That's what these false teachers are teaching. They have no sin. I'm not responsible for the things done in my body. That's what the Gnostics were teaching. That's what the, you know, our body is material. So it doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever we want. We're not responsible for that. Now, to say they have no sin is different than what he's going to say in verse 10 when he says they have not sinned. In verse 8, they're denying the whole principle of sin, sin nature. I don't even have a sin nature. But in verse 10, they're denying specific acts of sin. So there's a difference there. So notice that John says we. Isn't that interesting? John is talking also about himself. John, and ladies, we need to realize we're... We are not everything in a bag of chips. We need to put ourselves in here too. Sometimes we get so spiritually puffed up and we think we have our theology right and our doctrine right and that we would never buy into the false teaching of our day. But we need to be careful. Uh, take heed lest we fall, right? Uh, and we need to be careful about being, being spiritually puffed up. And so John uses the plural we, including himself. He realizes too he would be in serious trouble, grave danger, if he said, I don't have a sin nature. So John says two things. He says, if we have no sin, there's two things true about us. First of all, we deceive ourselves. And secondly, the truth is not in us. This is almost identical to what we just had in the last session in verse six. So John says, if we have the attitude that we do not have sin, John says, we deceive ourselves, which literally reads, we lead ourselves astray. We lead ourselves astray. We not only err, but we're responsible for it. Ladies, it's not a person that's deceived about being aware he's deceived, but he is someone who's led himself astray. And isn't it interesting? John doesn't say you deceive your husband or you deceive God. 
you can't deceive God, and most of us can't deceive our husbands. I know uh, my husband was not deceived. As I mentioned earlier, he almost called off our wedding the night before we got married because I had a temper tantrum at our rehearsal because I wanted to go through it twice, and he didn't want to, and uh, that was not the first time I'd had a temper tantrum in front of him. And he began to realize that anger was a huge part of my life, and it was, and it was for the first 10 years of our marriage. And uh, I would tell you stories, but they would make your hair stand on your head, but, which it is on your head, but it make it stand up. But um, I had a terrible temper. That's why he used to say, Susan, I'm going to put on your headstone. She did it her way. So, uh, but ladies, we, we don't deceive people around us. You know, the people that you're closest to, they know. They know. I mean, you might deceive yourself, but you're not deceiving your husband, your kids. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a parent is to live a life of hypocrisy, to tell your kids one thing, but you live out another thing, right? We need to be the same. And so we don't deceive God. We don't deceive those that are closest to us. We lead ourselves astray. Ladies, everything is naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows. God knows. The second thing that is true about those who say they have no sin, not only do they deceive themselves, but secondly, he says the truth is not in them. What does that mean? It means we have misled ourselves concerning the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ himself. Ladies, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So we're saying, I have a special relationship with God. I know God. I know God but I'm not living like a Christian. I don't have, I mean, I, I, I don't have a sin nature. I don't have a sin nature like do, you do. And so he says, you're false and you're not a true believer. Ladies, the opposite of saying we have no sin is to realize we do sin and we confess our sins. That is the attitude of those walking in the light. Ladies, that is the proper attitude towards sin. Look at verse nine. However, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ladies, the proper attitude that you should have as a woman walking in the light is to admit when you sin. Admit it. Own up to it. Confess it. What does it mean to confess it? It means to say the same thing. The same thing God says about your sin. The truth about your sin. The truth about what God says. Ladies, this is a woman whose conscience that she has done wrong. She's convicted that she has sinned and she admits it. For example, Lord, I, I know that my temper with my husband was wrong. It was sinful. Would you please forgive me? Or, Father, you know I'm having a wrong attitude towards someone in my church, uh, a wrong thought. Would you, would you please forgive me? Or uh, maybe, you know, for some women they struggle with envy and jealousy. Lord, you know this is not right. I'm envious for that, about that, for that woman. I'm jealous over that. Would you please, I know that's sin. Would you please forgive me? Um, you know, for me, it's been often, uh, I'm, go, I'm growing, I'm better at it, but, but uh, when I first became a Christian, I didn't like interruptions in my day. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot calls those divine appointments. Well, I call them interruptions. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a scheduled person, and, and uh, my husband used to say, if it's not in her planner, she won't be doing it. And uh, so the Lord really used him to sanctify me in that way because he was more of impulsive. And I'd say, what are you going to do today? He goes, I don't know, whatever's on this, whatever the Lord wants me to do. He goes, what are you doing? I go, well, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And he's looking at me like, you know. So I didn't like interruptions. And that used to really irritate me. 
And, uh, but that's wrong. Those are divine appointments, as Elizabeth Elliot says, those divine appointments. And so now I almost expect interruptions in my day, and uh, I've learned to not get sinfully frustrated at those. Ladies, a woman who's walking in the light will be conscious of these things. She won't excuse her sin. She'll admit it. She'll confess it. And she endeavors to forsake it. In fact, the tense here in the Greek, confess, is in the present tense, which means we keep on confessing because we keep on sinning, right? So we have to keep on confessing. Ladies, we have the, the attitude of the psalmist who said, I acknowledge my, my sin. I acknowledge my sin. My iniquity I have not hidden from you. I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then he forgives us. Now, we should probably define sin, since John mentions it so much in this text. What is sin anyway? You've probably heard a lot of definitions of sin. But sin is lawlessness or transgression of God's will, either by omitting to do what God's law requires or by doing what it forbids. Now, let me give you an example of this. For example, in 1 John, he tells us we're to love the brethren. We're to love the brethren. That's something the law requires. Even the Old Testament, Leviticus, says we're to love our brother. That's what the law requires. But John also says we're not to hate our brother. That's something the law forbids. So you can see it's something either the law requires or the law forbids. Ladies, the transgression can occur in thought, word, or deed. That's how we sin, right? And may I say this, most sin starts in our mind because the, the battle for the Christian is in the mind. That's why we need to gird up the loins of our mind. That's why we need to meditate on Scripture, renew our mind with Scripture. So when we have a thought, if we don't take care of it and smash it and demolish it and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ, what happens next? It usually comes out in our mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we usually end up saying things we shouldn't say. But then if we don't take care of that, then we start doing things we shouldn't do, right? And so the, the big battle is in the mind. Now, the sin here that John mentions in this verse is a definite, specific act of sin. It's to name the specific sin as I just gave. Now, John is talking about confessing our sins to God because the context, notice what he says, he is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to cleanse us from all sin. But I do want to stop here and say, yes, you should be confessing all sin to God. But there are sometimes you need to confess to the person you've sinned against, right? Uh, James says we confess our faults to one another. We pray for one another so that we can be healed. Also, Matthew is very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you go to worship and you know that your brother has something against you, you leave your gift at the altar, you go your way, you reconcile to your brother, then you come and worship. You don't even come to church if you've got odd in your heart. If you've got bitterness in your heart towards someone, you've got to go and reconcile and take care of that. So, for example, if uh, I am teaching this weekend and uh, I say something here from the podium that is not true, then I really need to ask all of you to forgive me. I've lied to all of you. However, if it's just Debbie and, uh, you know, we're on the plane tomorrow going home and, and I just say something to her that is not true, I just, I just need to keep that to her, right? So it doesn't mean you go around confessing all your sins to everybody. That's probably not wise. And, uh, you know, God forgives, men don't. 
but uh, they should, but many times they don't. But if you've done something towards someone, you do need to ask for forgiveness from that person. Now, John gives the first benefit of confessing our sins. Isn't it interesting that just as there are two consequences of saying we have no sin, there are two consequences of those who admit their sin and confess it. Notice the first one. The first one is that God will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What does that mean he's faithful? He's faithful to his covenant that he made, remember? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He remembers our sin no more. I love the example in the Old Testament. Remember when the priest would get a goat and he'd lay his hands on the goat and confess all the sins of Israel and then he would send that goat away out into the field and that goat was never to be seen again. What was that a symbol of? Our sins. They're forgiven. They're remembered no more. You know, we're the ones that bring them back up, right? Or Satan does. Uh, Satan's a good one. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? And he's always saying, remember that sin? Remember that? Remember that? No. God has completely removed the transgressions from us. He's faithful. Ladies, he's dependable. And if you say that God doesn't forgive your sins, you're calling him a liar. He's faithful and just forgiven. I know women that continue to live in their past. I go, God's forgiven you for that. Quit bringing it up. Quit, quit mulling it over. It's been cleansed by him. He's not only faithful, but John says he's just. What does that mean? God cannot overlook our sin. He can't let us get away with it. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I know there's some times that I, I, I put off certain things because I don't want to have to go to the person and try to, it's like it's a really humbling thing. I remember, I think it was a couple months ago, I needed to go to one of our elders and and confess to him something. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. But you know what? The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. And ladies, God doesn't either. He doesn't let us get away with it. He's also just in the sense that if we don't confess our sins, ladies, he will hold us accountable for that. And sometimes if we go on living in sin, we bear the consequences of that, even as a Christian. Read Deuteronomy 28 sometime. The blessings and cursings. Blessings of obedience, cursings of disobedience. We know from 1 Corinthians that there were some that were sick some that had even died because they were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily with sin, unconfessed sin that they would not take care of. And so uh, sometimes if we don't do that, there are consequences. God is just. He cannot condone our sin. But he's also just in the sense that it would be wrong if he withheld forgiveness of our sins. And he doesn't withhold that if we confess. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Ladies, his faithfulness and his justice are not dependent on our confession, but rather when we do confess, you can find him to be faithful and you can find him to be just. What's he faithful and just to do? To forgive us, send those sins away, cancel our debts, dismiss our charges. Ladies, he releases you from that sin. Isn't that great? Then you can go about your day and your conscience is clear and move on, right? Uh, I know when I was reading the life of David Brainerd, one time, The Life and Diary of David Brain, and my husband said, honey, be careful reading that book, because that guy was so introspective, he could hardly get anything done during the day without beating himself up all day. And uh, so some of us live like that, right? We're always beating ourselves up. Ladies, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Move on, right? Satan wants you to live defeated. God does not want you to live that way. Well, the second benefit of confessing our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the cleansing here is from all unrighteousness, just as the cleansing from all sin as seen in verse 7. 
Now, the cleansing here means he makes us holy. He purifies us. This cleansing is applied by the blood of Jesus Christ. So maybe I know you're asking the question. So Susan, if Christians are cleansed from sin, why do we still sin? If we are saved from sin, why do we still sin? Ladies, we're saved from the power and influence of sin. Sin doesn't have a mastery over us anymore, right? It doesn't have a mastery over us. Paul says in Romans, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we're no longer slaves to sin. Those who have died are free from sin. I know that true to be my own life, that the things that I was once enslaved to, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all those things that I was enslaved to before Christ, I'm no longer enslaved to them. Do I still sin? Yes. Do I still have temptations? Yes. Do I hate my sin? Yes. That's what John is saying. We're free. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of righteousness. So if you're taking notes, what is the proper attitude towards sin? Ladies, admit it and confess it. Admit it and confess it. Well, John now goes back to mention those who will continue to say they have not sinned in verse 10, and he adds two more consequences of that improper attitude. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now this time, they're claiming not that they just don't have a sin nature, but now they're denying they've ever even committed a single act of sin. I have met people like this. I don't know if you have. I have met people like this that told me they've never sinned. And I will tell you, they're a little challenging to be around because they think they're everything, you know? Now, I would trust that most of you would say, Susan, I know I sin. I know I sin. But ladies, even those of us that know we sin, we're pretty good sometimes about justifying it, aren't we? You don't know my husband. Uh, I, it was the time of that time of the month. My husband used to say, you should pray before that time of the month. And then not only did I start praying, I just kept my mouth shut for three days because I knew in three days it'd all be over. I wouldn't feel like that anymore, right? Uh, but I've heard people that. They justify it. You just don't know what I'm going through. I was lonely. I was hungry. I was fearful. In fact, one woman shared with me one time an acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. This is when Satan attacks you. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And so I learned when I was tired, don't, don't get into anything with anybody. Just go to bed. When you're hungry, go to bed or get something to eat, you know? When I may, it's not a time, right? Uh, but we always are justifying, blaming. If only they hadn't done this. I was tired, I was lonely, I was hungry, I was fearful. We're not coming clean with our sin, right? We're justifying it. Ladies, we need to admit our sin. So if we say we've never committed an act of sin, what does it say about us? Well, John says, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Now, what does it mean that we make God a liar? How can we make God a liar when we know God doesn't lie? How can we make him a liar? What John is saying here, we accuse God of lying. Now think with me for just a minute. I know it's you're getting, you know, you know you're tired and you're hungry, but don't sin right now. Think with me for a minute. God says very clearly, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? There's not a just man on earth that doesn't sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. So to say I have not sinned, is to deny the principle of sin, and it makes God a liar, who's already said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm saying, God, you're a liar. You are a liar. 
And ladies, that's a serious accusation to call God a liar. You may not say, God, you're a liar, but you're saying that by the way you're acting. I don't sin. I don't. It's your fault. It's his fault. It's the time of the month. We're accusing a perfect holy God of being a liar. Ladies, God is a man, not a man that he should lie, right? If we had no sin, then there would be no need for a savior, no need for him to atone for our sin. The second thing it says about us, if I say I don't have any acts of sin, is his word is not in us. Now, John said in verse 8, the truth is not in us. Now he says his word is not in us. What's the difference? The truth is embodied in a person, Jesus Christ. The truth is not in us, but the word is talking about the word of God, logos. Remember, ladies, when God saved you, according to Ezekiel, the promise of the new covenant, he put his law within your heart and he causes you to walk in his ways. So basically, it's very similar to what John said in verse 8. The truth isn't in you, but his word is not in you either. God has not put his law within your heart. Ladies, if Jesus Christ is in us, if we have the truth, his word is in us, we love the word, we love what he says, but if it's not in us, his word is not in us. We have no regard for it, no place for it in our lives. Well, John continues with a proper attitude towards sin in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, and ladies, Remember, translators came in and added the chapters and verses. I wish it wasn't here because I don't know why they I don't know why they did this. But anyway, they decided to put chapter two right here, and it really messes it up because John's still talking about this topic. And uh, so just remember that when you're doing Bible study or memorizing scripture. I don't memorize one 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 two one three one four because I just memorize the letter, uh, chapter one, chapter two. But a lot of times those uh, chapter divisions and verse divisions are not really helpful. They're more difficult. And here's one of those that uh, is really challenging because John's just continuing to talk about what he says. Look what he says in chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things write unto you that you do not sin. If anyone says we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love this. Little children. You, you can almost hear John. Little children. I mean, he's begging them. Don't be carried away by these false teachers. That are telling, they're denying the very nature of sin. They're trying to tell you it doesn't matter what you do in your body. You don't have to live holy. You can do anything you want. You can lie. You can steal. You can cheat. You can commit adultery. Doesn't matter. You're not responsible. You don't have a sin nature. You don't commit acts of sin. And John's saying, No, little children, my little children, these things I'm writing to you, I don't want you to sin. Don't listen to the false teachers of your day. And then he gives another purpose for writing this epistle. He says, the, I'm writing this to you so that you do not sin. I don't want you to sin. Avoid sin. Refuse sin. Run away from it. I don't want you to sin. You know, Paul told the church at Corinth the same thing. And he was, he said, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. I've espoused you to one wife. And yet I fear, you know, that Satan's tempted you. Um, and, and those of you that are in leadership, you know, I, I know my husband and I would, especially my husband would grieve over the sins of the people in our church. Uh, he would mourn. He would, he would weep. Uh, I know women that I mentor or counsel, disciple, and, and I see them, you know, in, in their sin, and it, it, it grieves me. And sometimes they, they come back and they say, I wish I'd have listened to you. I remember one time warning a woman. I said, don't do this. You're not going to work. And I said, you're setting yourself, your husband up to commit adultery. A year later, she came and she said, I wish I'd have listened to you. He has committed adultery. Um, it grieves my heart when I see these women just 
they, I give them the truth and they refuse it. They refuse it. And John's saying, don't refuse the truth. These false teachers are coming in. They're teaching you things that are heretical. Don't listen to them. I don't want you to sin. And I know probably some of you feel that way about your children. A lot of you probably have children or grandchildren uh, that are not walking with the Lord, don't know the Lord. It grieves you, right? <laughs> you don't want them to sin. I fear many of us, for us, it's not that way. We love sin. We choose it many times instead of avoiding it. Well, John goes on to say, he says, I don't want you to sin, and yet he realizes they will sin. He knows that perfection is not going to happen until glory. And so notice what he says. My little children, these things writing to you that you sin not. But if you do, if you do sin, and you will, <laughs> you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. Ladies, even though the goal for all believers is holiness and perfection, we're going to sin. We're going to sin. Hopefully less and less every day, but we're going to sin. But when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Ladies, you don't have to confess to a priest. Aren't you glad for that? For those of you that came out of the Roman Catholic Church, you can go straight to your advocate. The veil's been torn in two. We have a great high priest that's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Father, I have sinned. What is an advocate? An advocate is an intercessor, a consoler. He's called alongside as a helper. He's our defense. He's our legal attorney. This person pleads the cause of the person on trial. I like what Jay Adams says. God has provided a lawyer to plead your case in court, and this is no ordinary lawyer. He's never lost a case. <laughs> you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Ladies, he's ever inter he's at the right hand of the Father. He's ever making intercession for you. So when Satan is condemning you and accusing you, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father saying, no, I died for that sin. <laughs> I plead for that. I, I am the best lawyer ever. I've never lost one case, as Jay Adams says. Ladies, this is an incredible truth. It tells me that my Lord not only loves me so much that he came to die for me, but he continued to, continues to love me as evidenced by his continual pleading on my behalf before the Father. Now, why does John say he's with the Father? Because it speaks of the intimate relationship the Father has with the Son. He's face to face with the Father. He and the Father are one. Why does he call him the righteous? Well, in the Greek, there is no article here. It just reads, Jesus Christ, righteous. Jesus Christ, righteous. Jesus doesn't use tricks to get his client off. There's no plea bargaining. He admits the guilt of the client, but then he pleads on behalf because he himself paid the penalty for our sin. The debt has been paid. There's wounds in his hands and his feet to prove it. Jesus Christ, righteous, is the only one who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Well, Jesus Christ is not only our advocate, but John tells us another wonderful truth about our Savior in verse 2. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What does it mean he's a propitiation for our sins? He's the atonement for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice. In fact, the word propitiation was used in secular writing for a sacrifice that would appease the wrath of an angry God. Ladies, this seems to suggest God is justifiably angry at the wicked every day, but his son, Jesus Christ, made the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation. It appeased the wrath of God on man's sin. We do sin. Don't deny your sin. You do sin. 
and therefore you are in need of someone to be the propitiation for your sin. And then he goes, this has added a lot of confusion to a lot of people, not only is he the propitiation for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. And you're saying, okay, is John a universalist? Is everybody going to go to heaven? No, he is not. There's two thoughts here, and don't stone me if you don't agree with either one of them. So, But uh, no, he is not a universalist. John is writing to a Jewish audience. So more than likely when he says the sins of the whole world, he could be referring to the Gentiles. We know from Romans 11, the Jews rejected Messiah, and so the Gentiles were grafted in. So what is he? He's the savior of all kinds of people. Gentile, Jews, male, female, slave, free, all, there's all kinds of people. That's one thought. Also, the second thought, because I want to be fair uh, to the other interpretation, uh, is that Christ, yes, Jesus Christ so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Christ loved the world. Christ died for the world. But only those who believe have the wonderful blessing of having their sins atoned for, their sins died for. So you can take either interpretation. You can even take a third one if you want. I won't give any more to you, but uh, that, that verse has caused many a person to have many a problem. But we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about holiness. So uh, I don't get into a lot of those debates that sometimes end up being very foolish. But anyway, uh, ladies, he is a propitiation for not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, Gentiles as well. Ladies, how can we continue to live in sin when Jesus Christ the righteous has sacrificed so much to atone for our sins? So to sum it all up, the wrong attitude towards sin, what is the wrong attitude? To make some denial of the fact that I have a sin nature and to deny personal acts of sin. What is the right attitude towards sin? Admit it, confess it, hate it, run from it, avoid it. Ladies, what is your attitude towards sin? Do you deny sin as part of your nature? Do you deny specific acts of sin? Do you say you have no sin? Do you justify your sin? Do you minimize your sin? Do you psychologize your sin? Do you call your sin a mistake? Then my friend, you've deceived yourself. The truth is not in you. You've made God a liar and his word is not in you. Do you run from sin? Do you avoid it? Do you hate it? Do you confess your sins? If so, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins, to cleanse you, to plead to the Father on your behalf. What great promises for those who walk in the light. Ladies, maybe you are walking in the light today, but you're struggling with an area of sin. I want to close by giving you three suggestions that I have found imperative in my personal pilgrim journey of walking in the light. Last night, I gave you many more. Tonight, or this morning, I'm going to summarize them three, so you can get to lunch. <laughs> but I have found these three things very helpful in keeping me from sin, and they're then the acronym, or acrostic SIN, S-I-N. The first one is saturate your mind with the Word of God. My husband used to make it his habit to read his Bible through two or three times a month. Um, after he passed a couple of years ago, I thought a year later, I thought, you know, I'm going to start reading more. I mean, I try to, I do read through the scriptures every year and, and make memorization a habit as well. But I thought I'm going to start reading just more because I would see him reading his Bible all the time. So I thought, well, I'll just add 20 minutes a day. I'm now in my fourth reading this year. And I have to say that saturating my mind with more scripture has given me a better understanding of the whole of scripture. 
So when you think about it, 20 minutes a day is nothing, right? 20 minutes for God is nothing. And 20 minutes a day, you can read your Bible through probably four or five times a year. That's, ama that's an amazing, if you're reading with understanding. But you, we need to be saturating our mind with Scripture. All 66 books. I believe a child of the Lord should, should be reading through the Scripture systematically. Genesis through Revelation. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Ladies, we need to be saturating our mind with Scripture. The next is the I. Involvement in others' lives. We talked about this last night. Ladies, we need to be involved in each other's life. A man who isolates himself brings himself to destruction. Uh, I know growing up I used to hear idle hands are the devil's workshop. I know that's not in the Bible. <laughs> but do you realize how many times we are encouraged to be involved in each other's lives? We're not to be wasting our lives. Some of you are wasting your life. I'm hearing now from women who have say they have Christian husbands. And they're gaming all night. I'm like, what in the world? Wasting their life. Playing video games all the time. So there's people out there dying and going to hell or people in your church body that need encouragement or a meal brought to them. And we're wasting our time four to six hours a day. I know some women be on social media, but they won't spend five minutes in the word of God. Ladies, we need to be involved in each other's lives. Listen to these one another's. Love one another. Exhort one another. Consider each other. Edify each other. Comfort each other. Admonish each other. Forgive each other. Forbear with each other. Serve each other. Prefer each other. <laughs> if you did all those, you wouldn't have time for all that other those trivial drippings, would you? If you were truly a part of the body life and serving, ladies, we would not be spending so much time wasting on trivial pursuits. As we die to ourselves and minister to others, we find ourselves with less time to get into trouble. <laughs> Idle hands are the devil's workshop. I believe women with too much time on their hands can waste their time and feed their minds with things that are not good. The last is the end. The end, need for intercessory prayer. Ladies, there is a need for intercessory prayer. We talked about this last night. Watch and pray that you don't enter in temptation. The Spirit is willing the flesh is weak. You know, part of the armor in Ephesians 6 is prayer. You know how you're going to fight the devil? You've got to pray. Pray always, all the time. Pray without ceasing. Ladies, we need to be serious about our sin. Well, I would echo in closing with the aged old Apostle John, who appealed to these believers, do not sin. My little children, do not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I pray we have the right attitude of sin. I pray we have the attitude of the evangelist Billy Sunday, who once said this about sin. I'm against sin. I'm going to kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'm going to fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'm going to butt it as long as I've got a head. I'm going to bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless, I'm and footless and toothless, I'm going to gum it till I go home to glory, and it goes home to perdition. So there you go. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I do pray that we would hate our sin, that we would not hug it. Lord, that we would not deny it either. We want to make sure that we are clean with you and with others when we do sin. But, oh, Father, may, may the words of John just permeate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the satisfaction for our sins. Thank you. Thank you so much that we don't have to go around with these heavy laden burdens of sin. You are the great burden bearer. Thank you so much.
We pray that you would bless now in the remainder of our time for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Lord, forgive us for our pride when our faith becomes a show dressed in righteous deeds to hide all the stains below we have judged your sons and daughters for the sin that is our own may we now forgive each other and lay down our stones the blood of Christ we are forgiven Lord forgive us for our love of the things we wish to own we forsake the feast above for all the crumbs below though you made us sons and daughters we do not the world disown May we find our greatest treasure is in you alone. Forgiven, forgiven. Through the blood of Christ we are forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, we are forgiven. Lord, forgive us for our shame when we can't release the past. When we're quick to take the blame, but forget we're free at last. We avoid your sons and daughters for the fear we don't belong. Give us eyes to see each other through your only son. Forgiven, forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, we are forgiven.